Well, good day, everyone. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your words spoken, that it reveals you. Thank you that it was written down, that we have heard it read. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak clearly to us as we reflect upon it today, that we may know you and your love for us all the more clearly. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard of someone swimming the English Channel? Uh, it's 33 kilometres across, it's the busiest shipping lane in the world, and it has things living in it that can hurt you. I don't even like swimming where I can't see the bottom. But imagine what it takes to do that, to swim the English Channel, uh, knowing yourself, understanding the conditions, developing perseverance, striving through the barriers. Someone has described it as the Everest of marathon swimming, and because of that, every so often, the news will have a story of someone who's done it. Uh, last week, it was Australian Chloe McArdle. Uh, not just because she'd swum the English Channel, but because she'd done it for the 44th time. You heard me right, the 44th time, making a whole new world record. What did you do last week? <laughs> I say it with a cheeky grin because you probably weren't marathon swimming or thought you were marathon anything last week. But I can tell you, if you are living the Christian life of trusting Jesus as your Lord, we are taking place in the greatest and most privileged marathon of all. And don't hear uh, that as a reason to despair thinking, as I do, a marathon is something I couldn't do, but rather think of it as an experience that takes knowing yourself, understanding the conditions, developing perseverance and striving through the barriers. And above all else, remember that it is our great God enabling us and empowering us and he will see us through to the end which means it is and it will be marvellous. You see, and here's an extraordinary thing about the way God works, he's in control and what he wants to do, he will get done. But even as he's doing that, he gives us responsibilities to fulfil in the midst of it. Uh, and that's part of how he gets it done. Today we'll hear how he starts and ends that and the responsibility he gives us in the midst of that. Our starting point is a new identity God gives us in the last words we heard in Hebrews 3 from verse 6 last week and as we heard them read again today. They're the wonderful words that tell us who we are, that we are God's house. Now you might ask, a house? Is that good? What does that mean? Well, think of it less as being a building and far more as the household or family that we belong to. When you first trusted Jesus as Lord, you were remade, moved from the family at war with God to living as a cherished family member with God. Even Moses, that great one in God's plans, he's described as a servant in God's house. We come up for air and find ourselves as members of the family of God. 
And as in the case of the family you live with, you don't live just separate lives. Your lives are connected and you have relationships with one another and you benefit from the care and security and love of the people who take responsibility for your life together. That's how God the Father and our great elder brother Jesus treat us. But how do we know God and experience him? when he is so different to us. He does it by his word. Remember right at the beginning of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, it began focusing on God speaking. So too, here in our passage today from chapter 3, verse 7, and as an aside, the Holy Spirit's not left out from the work of the Father and the Son. As we read, so as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, God speaks. And even as he speaks, he speaks of that same experience of hearing God speak. If I'm getting to know you better and want to know what lights your fire, I do it by listening to what you say. So too, and above all else, this is how we know God, by his word. And it isn't a hollow voice like just reading a sign or an article or reading a news story. It's the voice of the living God, as he's called in verse 12. And like a bookend at the end of our passage today to what we've just heard at the beginning, and this is a well-known verse to memorise, we read chapter 4, verse 12, where the word of God is alive and active. We're hearing the word even now, as it's proclaimed. We are members of God's household through the wonderful work of Jesus we read earlier in Hebrews, but we live now in a time where we need to hear God's word on what we need to do in this life in order to arrive at the destination he's promised us, where we will be together as he always intended us to be. Now that, that destination is called God's rest. Did you notice how much rest came up uh, as we read today's passage? Uh, I'll go into it a bit more in a moment, but keep this in mind as we do delve into it some more. In case you don't get excited by detail, when we talk about what God's rest is, it's very good, it's a great relief and you definitely want to experience it. I think of it like, well, I had my 50th birthday a few weeks ago and we had a great family celebration. Uh, Lockdown worthy, of course, no visitors. (laughs) But everyone in my extended family got takeaway at their place and we got together on Zoom and we ate together and someone had made a video for me and we had a great time. And I think that's a window into the heavenly rest. Not my birthday, particularly, (laughs) but experiences like that. When we're partying together and enjoying being with each other. Where in the case of God's rest, we'll be celebrating God with God and with one another. The Bible even describes it in places as a great banquet or as a wedding celebration. Or another way you can think about it, 
uh, is like when you get to the end of something that you've worked on where it's been worthwhile but it's had its challenges and you finally sit down at the end and you breathe out. Now keep that in mind as I give you the previously in the Bible on rest. Now I'm sorry we have to jump around a bit today. Uh, I thought about this long and hard but I think it is the most helpful way to see what's going on here and it's about to get worse. (laughs) So jump now to chapter 4 verse 3 and we read after the quote, and yet God's works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. The writer of course is going back to creation, to the six days of creation and on the seventh day God rested. And what was the upshot of that process? Well Adam and Eve were in the garden, God's people in God's place under God's loving rule. But at the fall into sin, people were removed from the garden and the rest. And then we come to the command of Moses in the law about rest and the seventh day. And there's something more going on here than just being given information. The seventh day was given as a day of rest because of God's rest on the seventh day. But not only that, life in the land is called entering God's rest where God would dwell with his people again and everything would be laid on for them. Remember, it's called the land of milk and honey, isn't it? Not just the land of basics, but the land of delicacies. And they won't have to make it that way themselves. God, through the previous inhabitants, already had, and God would be their God, and they would be his people, like back in the garden. But even before they get there, it goes pear-shaped. So we could have read as uh, other readings, Numbers 12 or Numbers 20 and others as well, uh, and how the people he'd saved, they didn't enter the land God had promised. Only their children did. But Psalm 95 quoted first in verses 7 to 11 at the centre of today's passage in Hebrews sums it up. So let me read it again for us. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the time of, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. What's more, even though the children arrived physically, it wasn't all it was meant to be. That's why Joshua comes up in chapter 4 verse 8, Joshua who led Israel after Moses and led the people into the land. We read 4 verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. Even King David, of two Samuel fame, as much as he could provide under God, even he didn't bring God's rest. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written Psalm 95 the way he did, would he? As we heard in those words, 
It harks back to Israel's experience when God first rescued them out of Egypt, or more to the point, harks back to Israel's disobedience. It stands as a warning to all who will hear it. Make sure you don't follow their example. You will miss out on God's rest if you do, even though it is very good and a great relief and you do not want to miss out on this experience. Final thing to say about God's rest and you and I entering God's rest It's not the land that Joshua led them into. We don't all have to move to the uh, Middle East. Uh, That was merely God in Israel foreshadowing the ultimate rest. Our rest comes when Jesus wraps up his great work of rescuing us, when he takes the work he's already done in the past and his sustaining work now and wraps it up so that it's all completed. And what is that? When is that? It's when this end of sin and the end of sin's consequences arrives. Remember, he's already won the victory, but the day is ahead of us and not far off when we will have the joy of breathing out. When we will rest from the suffering that comes with sin and we will celebrate God with God and with one another. The warning for us now is to take up our responsibility, is to strive ahead in trusting him, is to persevere. We're reading this passage the way we are today, backgrounding the events the writer's talking about in the past so we can hear with crystal clarity the wonderful warning we're being given. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear uh, or think of a warning, I think of it as a negative thing. Uh, Being told what not to do can feel like I'm missing out on something. But is that rational? Aren't warnings actually good for us? Uh, The sign that says, don't climb over the fence, keeps you behind the barrier that's stopping you from falling over the cliff. And the warnings in Hebrews, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews, in fact. We heard chapter 2, 1 to 4 a few weeks ago. That was the first one. Now we're hearing from 3 verse 7 today. This is the second of them. And God is saying to us, saying to you and me, I've got your best interests at heart. You want to move from where you are now to where the heavenly rest awaits for all of God's people? Here's what to do. Strive toward it by trusting my word. Persevere. So let me read off the different ways we are warned here in the midst of our passage from the psalm first itself in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then directly in this way from verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. I'm going to leave that one up on the screen a bit longer but I also have read 4 verse 1. Therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Or 4 verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Come back to me with me to the one that's still on the screen, chapter 3 verse 12 to 14. And in those words, there's what we not to do as well as what we are to do. Did you see what we're meant to do? Uh, not to do don't have a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God ever since the garden sin has always been our problem Uh, I've said it before I'll say it again you can't tell if someone is following their leaders when they agree with them they could be just doing what they want to do you only really find out if you're if they're following their leader when they disagree with them and then you see what they do it's the same with us and God despite him being the living God despite his wonderful word It's why Adam and Eve ended up outside the garden. It's why the first Israelites never entered the land. It's why even their descendants, when they did, still it never met expectations. And you might say, well, what's the difference now? And the difference is Jesus, our great high priest, chapter 3, verse 1, our high priest and the sacrifice for the sins of his people who now enables us to enter his rest. So then how do we avoid Israel's hardness of heart and sin? How do we, with Jesus' spirit at work in us, strive ahead? Well, have a believing heart. Don't believe the deceitfulness of sin and the devil. Sin will speak sweetly into your ear saying things like, you're missing out. Or God's holding something back from you. Or you deserve better. And then it'll say, being patient is too hard. After all, God wants you to be happy. Or being faithful is too hard. After all, it's not your fault you ended up here. Or being holy is too hard. After all, who else in the world sticks with being holy? And if you let yourself believe those lies, and indeed they are lies, you will not make it to the rest that is promised you. That's why the example from Israel is here before us. Because so many failed, 4 verse 2 says, to share the faith of those who obeyed. What are we to do instead? 
Well, we already read it in 3 verse 13, and we've highlighted it now before us. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. There's a similar version of this you might have heard uh, before, uh, later in chapter 10 from verse 25. And, uh, but what it's saying is, since we still live in the time called today, the day of God's patience, and before it ends, this is what we are meant to do. And these words point us to something that's been going on throughout this whole passage. This warning is spoken to us uh, not first as individuals, but as a group. Uh, this is an action that I do for you and you for me, uh, that you do for another child of God and they do for you. We encourage one another. We encourage one another in remembering the word of God and obeying the word of God. We encourage one another in believing the word of God and in this way, we serve each other from turning away from the living God. We need each other, you and I. You need me, I need you, and we have a responsibility to one another. <laughs> so preserving in this life isn't a solo sport, <laughs> Maybe that's where the picture of Chloe uh, McArdle's marathon swimming needs a bit of a tweak. Uh, think of it as a swimming marathon where we are helping each other all of the way. Anyone who tells you that they can do it on their own is deceived. How timely that we should hear this word from God today on the back end of COVID restrictions as opening up, as you may have noticed, we're a little bit excited about here, uh, as opening up will allow us to be together. Online Sunday has been great for what it is, but it isn't the same as interacting with each other, is it? Zoom growth groups have been a godsend, but it's not as good as being face-to-face Actually, do we need any convincing after this experience? And yet it wouldn't need to be a warning if it weren't a real possibility. Can I encourage you to take the steps you need to take and to do whatever it is you have to do, whether it's facing the change from the past three or 18 months of COVID reality, or facing some other experience apart from COVID you've been living through. You and I need to have the people of God and the Word of God in our lives encouraging us daily. Uh, you and I need to take our place in encouraging each other. Yes, we can hear the Word of God on our own and listen and read it, and we should, but we also need to have others bring it to bear on our lives and us on theirs in the midst of the everyday. Remember the discipleship picture that we talk about here? It's a simple tool that's, I think, so helpful to help us bear this out. I serve you by remembering that God's goal is that you become mature in Jesus 
Uh, it's the same goal for every person. Uh, and in using today's passage, the language of today's passage in Hebrews, God's goal is that you arrive at the finality of God's rest. And so I look at you and where you're at in your context along the way and recall the word of God and bring it to intersect with your circumstances and in that way work out how to serve you to take next steps towards arriving at God's rest. This pattern, that's what Hebrews is saying here we do for each other. And this all we've been talking about. None of it's a call to us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to God. Actually, it's part and parcel of how he loves us. That he speaks these warnings into our lives. That his word has the power to instill in us belief so that as we believe them, his powerful word sees us persevere to the end. That is success in the Christian life, in a world that measures success in so many other ways. And God is taking his responsibility to speak into our lives and we take our responsibility to listen and to trust him. And my prayer for you, as it is for me, is that we will continue to strive and finally arrive at God's rest. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, you've, you've reminded us again that you have left nothing undone that needs to be done for us to enjoy you and know you and be rescued for you. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your rest that we've been reminded of today, that we will celebrate you uh, and be with you and be with each other. We pray, Heavenly Father, for ourselves and for each other, that none of us may have a sinful, disbelieving heart that turns away from you, and as we've gone through the experiences we have of the last three and 18 months, we pray you would meet us in that experience where it has been difficult because of the, the way in which we haven't been able to be together as, as before. Thank you that even in the midst of that, we're reminded of how precious it is. But also we pray, restore us in our encouragement of one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.